1: Hello and welcome to our bonus uh, Q&A episode of Books of the Year. We're in the studio here with Simon Seabag Montefiore, who you, hopefully you heard on our uh, previous episode, The World of Family History and Jerusalem and the Biography uh, are his two most recent books. Uh, he has uh, many, many other books. In fact, order the back catalogue for Christmas and New Year. Uh, is that OK? That kind of <laughs> You're yeah, very, very happy good. with that, yeah. So here comes uh, our traditional Q&A uh, with Simon. What is, Simon, the
0: last book that you really really enjoyed reading. I have just loved reading the new book by David McCloskey, who uh, wrote Damascus Station, who yes, has been he on your on, show. He has, yes, 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 and um what what he's written another one called Moscow X. And he is the coming talent, um the rising new star of um thriller writing, espionage writing. And the new book is extremely good. I think Damascus Station is is brilliant. Um, I'm longing for him to return to the Middle East. Um, But he's done Moscow, he's done Russian espionage really well, and um, so that's what I recommend. I love thrillers, and I recommend that thriller, and it's about to come out.
1: I think he's too good to be true. I think we interviewed him, and he's good looking. It was like three in the morning. (laughs) He looks amazing, he's done all this spy work, and I think he's he's like, either he's an AI creation, or he's been invented by the CIA. You're
0: right, he's a proper CIA. Um, guy, I just, I was just in, on book tour doing the world in America and I, I, I met him for dinner in, um, Dallas and, um, he's, he is, he is almost a good be true. You're yes. right. He's a delight. He's charming. He's handsome. I don't, I don't believe it. He's about you. six foot three. <laughs> yes. And he's been a CIA agent and he can write thrillers, which is so hard to do. Well, wow. there's so many appalling ones around, I'm afraid, um, and so he is, he is one of the, the, his two books, I recommend strongly. Yeah. I instinctively
1: didn't like him because he was just too good <laughs> and just too talented and too good looking. He's too handsome. It he was He's... literally the middle of the night when he spoke to us yeah. and he just looked, he was like, <laughs> like he was on holiday in California. Yeah. But when
0: you, you read know? the books, you realise the fantastic. kind of stuff, you realise the kind of stuff he could probably survive. Um, yes. you know without without turning a hair exactly right yeah quite yeah. right
2: <laughs> um, when you're um, researching a book uh, such as such as the world Simon how many books are you taking out of the library we have had nonfiction and indeed a lot of uh, fiction authors who come on who, who get quite a lot out of the library my instinct is you're not going to be able to carry all the books that you take out of the library because it's going to be so huge So, as far as the world was concerned the, the bibliography must have extended over pages and pages
0: yeah I mean right that book almost killed me. I sort of, for two and a half years, I lived a coenobitic existence as a sort of desperate literary monk. (laughs) But, and it was during lockdown and I could never have written it. But what I did was I ordered a massive amount of books and I bought them on Amazon or A Books or whatever secondhand. And you can buy a lot of books for sort of four pounds. And so during... The only thing that was happening in London during lockdown was deliveries to my house. <laughs> <laughs> you kept the entire industry going? I kept it all going. I was ordering so many books. And, and, and you know, if, I don't know if you've seen it, my office became kind of overrun with ziggurats of books.
2: Would you be able to take a guess at how many books?
0: I couldn't. It was, it was literally but hundreds, hundreds. Hundreds, you know, maybe 150 books. And the nightmare was that new books kept coming out That I had to read, and of course, it ruins the fun of reading a new book if you have to kind of read it in that. Well, you two must know about this. When you sort of, you know, it ruins the fun, doesn't it? When you have to sort of read it in a certain amount of time, and you did complain that you had to read more pages for this conversation. (laughs) And I know that feeling,
1: and I've been there. I've been there. Did you see that quote from Sir Ridley Scott when he was being criticized for some of the uh, lack of historical accuracy in Napoleon? Um, To which he. in my opinion, should have said, it's a film, it's just a version, you know, just... You know. I agree. But actually, what he said was, were you there, as Dan Snow, yeah. were you there, in which case, uh, go away. I think, what a ludic... What a- I know you're Sir Ridley Scott, but what a yeah. stupid thing
0: to say, were I agree. you there? What came over him? I mean, the thing is, like, <laughs> everyone knows... I mean, I, I'm not one of those historians that are permanent... I mean, I think his, I, I think historians should point out the faults in books and mock them if they're, report- if they're very bad um the the faults in movies of course is what i mean of course they should point out the faults in movies when they are especially when they are ridiculous um but on the other hand i'm not one of those historians that are sort of co- permanently wailing about dramas um and movies being historically inaccurate unless the inaccuracies are for some reason morally pernicious and they're changing history in order to to make some sort of um false moral mm. equivalence or something but but i, I just think like Read the books if you want to know the history. Yes. Read the books and just enjoy the films. Who is the most
1: impressive person you have ever interviewed yourself? I think Margaret Thatcher was because. But you're a schoolboy. I was a
0: schoolboy, but so nothing has
1: been better than that. <laughs> so. No,
0: nothing's been good. Nothing's. Be- I mean, I've met many fascinating people. I mean, people like um, people like Kissinger and Shimon Peres and Edward Shevardnadze are all. My conversations with them are all in the world. The world of family history. And so I was very lucky that I spent a lot of time with people like that. And, you know, the reason why I knew Shimon Peres very well, who was president prime minister of Israel, but the reason why he was, he was so impressive um, was that, one, he was a huge history buff and so fascinating to talk to. Two, he'd played such a role in history. He'd met John F. Kennedy and, you know, every president since. But thirdly, he really did have a vision of how to make peace in the Middle East, and that vision for a two-state solution, and how to do it, has not been bettered. I mean, his vision was, you know, these Arab, these Arab, you know, um, the, the Palestinian state, Gaza, places like Gaza and Ramallah, should be centres. They should be like Singapore or United Arab Emirates. They should be centres of of knowledge and commerce and freedom. Um, and there should be two states, and he worked desperately to try and do that and never gave up that hope. So, more than ever, he's a person who's inspiring to talk about today.
2: Is there an author that you will always read, no matter what they come out with, no matter what the genre, you will say, no, I'm definitely down, I love this particular writer?
0: John le Carré is that writer. Of course, he's died recently. I was very lucky. Well, there's a person that I'm really... I I got to know John le Carré in his old age um, he was he, he he read all my books and was always very he kind of gave amazing quotes about them and he even put one of my books in one of his books Really? Somebody, some spy was reading Star in the court of the red tsar by his bedside or something which of course was like I literally was my dream come true because i think he i don't think john le carre was an espionage writer I think he was just the greatest, one of the greatest n- people writing in English after 1945, and I don't think those those the number of those books where they say this person is the jo- new John le Carré. None of them are. There are no. no new John le Carres. It's like saying the new Balzac or that or something. But he. He was that person. I was very lucky to know him. He's the person I was most impressed with knowing. Okay. we'll add him to the list.
1: Uh, now, we always like, like to uh, surprise our guests with a question from a fellow author and fan. Uh, here's a voice note from uh, another historian and writer. Hi, Simon. Hi, Matt. And hello, Other Simon. Uh, it's Peter Frankopan here. And Other Simon, uh, you know I'm a big fan of your work, and I loved your book, uh, The World's Family History. I've got two questions for you. One is... Which bit of the book, or which period, which dynasty did you least enjoy writing about? I'm sure everyone asks you what you enjoyed most, but what did you least enjoy? And second, as a fellow writer, were you more stressed, do you think, before you started writing the book? Or do you think you were more stressed when you finished it and sent it off, and before it went off to the press? Love the show, by the way. Thanks for having me. Bye. Okay, that's, a couple of questions from Peter
0: Frankopan. That's that's great, from Peter Frankopan, who I'm a great admirer of. And um, but I, I think um, the answer is I'm just trying to think who i least liked writing about. I mean, I suppose, you know, um, it's not quite a dynasty, but the, but the Holocaust was the was the most desperately miserable part to write about, along with the, the, the you know the Atlantic slave trade, um, which involved all sorts of families, of course. Um, I was most stressed before writing the book, and I had terrible nightmares all the time sitting up. I remember once it's sort of three in the morning waking up and, and sitting up in bed and saying, oh, my God, I've left out Jesus Christ um, <laughs> out of the book, which is an occupational hazard of writing world histories. Um, but the most fascinating, I think, the most important sort of family that's kind of under, that's undervalued is, is the Constantine, the family of Constantine the Great, because they you know, because most religious leaders aren't political leaders and therefore they don't create states. The Prophet Muhammad was was a was a religious, political and military leader. Jesus Christ wasn't. So he needed Constantine the Great to adopt Christianity. So that's the family that was very important. And they were a very evil family. Very Christian, of course. But, you know, Constantine the Great was no saint. He did kill his own son, Crispus, and boil his own wife to death.
1: Oh. Okay, so
0: <laughs> again, Happy Christmas. Yes,
1: <laughs> not very
2: Christian, Constantine. Um, your your wife is an author too, of course, Santa Montefiori. Um, are you each other's first readers? Uh, and if so, who's the who's the harshest critic?
0: And um, we them? are each other's readers. And actually, it's fun to be both writers. Um, even though um, you know sometimes we are harsh, we are harsh readers. But actually, it's a really nice, it's a really lovely thing to share. Um, I know some couples play golf, for example, together, but we we write books. And really, we are just um, like a little cottage industry. We're like a little writing factory. Guy de Maupassant called himself a writing factory. And um, we are a little writing factory. The problem of being running a writing factory is you can't employ anyone else to work in the factory. No. (laughs) We we, we have a factory, but we are the only two workers (laughs) in the factory. But it's fun discussing books with her. At Evernorth Health Services...
1: Is there a place in the world that you haven't visited that you would really like to visit?
0: Yeah, Ethiopia. And I, I. it's very bad. I haven't... I've been to West Africa. I've been to Southern Africa. I've been to North Africa. But the one place I haven't been um, is East Africa and particularly Ethiopia. And there are so many places I want to go. And the other one is Iran, which, you know, Iran has such a huge part in the book because the book has so much of Asia in it. Um, but... For obvious reasons, I don't think it's a good time to visit Iran. Probably, not. but I'm dying to go. Because you'd like
1: to... to, you'd like to leave Iran yeah, as well at some out. stage, yeah. and they might not let you do
0: that. I might, yeah, I... yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's always a problem. There was a problem leaving. It's sort of...
1: <laughs> getting there is fine.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's a hotel California situation.
2: <laughs> Can never leave. <laughs> Have you ever tried to impress someone with a book? Obviously, not one of your own.
0: Yeah, I mean, I did try and impress Santa. Um, I did give her. Um... I gave her Zola's Nana, which is actually a very sexy book. I don't know if you've ever read no, it, but no. if you haven't read it, you've got to read it. No, it should be you should everyone should read it. It's an amazing book which is again in the world in the world history like like many other things, but it's about a courtesan in um, in the sort of 1860s and in 1860s France when the age of the great grande horizontale and when when these kind of you know, the, these were kind of, in a way, um, in a way, they were living off rich men, but in another way, they were kind of feminist um, uh, sort of pathfinders because they defied um, the control of men. They defied um, they they defied fem. You know, the, the old the old rules that women had to follow, and they did what the hell they wanted. And they were amazing, and one of them, um, Emil Zola, interviewed to write his greatest novel, Nana. And I gave that to Santa, which you might think is a rather unromantic book yes. to um, to give her. But she she loved it. And it is one of the great books. And it, as she dies, this be, most beautiful woman in 1860s France, as she dies in 1870s, the Prussians are invading France and the empire, Napoleon III, is falling. And if you want to know about the Napoleons, um, the whole family is, of course, in the world of family history. And there were three Napoleons. So there was Napoleon I, the one that we all know about, who lost Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's Napoleon II a and his That's very Anglo-centric point of view. Yes. So he did
1: other things. <laughs> <but> he did <laughs> other things, too, The
0: code, the code Napoleon. I'm exactly. actually a fa- sort of a fan of his, though. About three million people did die in his unnecessary yes. battles. But his son was called Napoleon II, and his nephew became Napoleon III, who was one of the most successful statesmen of the middle of the 19th century. There's a totally forgotten figure in Britain now. Um, But in in the end of Nana, um, as she dies rotting in her room, this beautiful girl, um, the empire falls apart and Napoleon III is defeated by Bismarck and loses power, having been one of the most successful statesmen for 20 years. And he came to stay with... Um, Victoria and Prince Albert and Windsor and he's a, he was our ally in the, in the Crimean War and many other things. So he's a fascinating character. So there's a big section of the world of family history called The Three Napoleons and but, we all should know about them. OK, very good. But Santa was impressed
1: with... with, with so the answer is you did try and impress her with the book. I she, did try and, try and you impress succeeded. her with
0: the book and she, did, she loved it and it is quite erotic. In all, it's, it's fairly outrageous. For a 19th century book it has to be the most erotic um 19th century mainstream okay. novel so nana emil zola i recommend to all of us uh,
1: finally fantasy dinner party time if you could invite
0: three authors alive or dead round to yours for a soiree oh yeah who would you choose well i definitely i definitely have had john le carre who was a fascinating who was fascinating company i'd probably have lady murasaki the japanese the inventor of the novel um in in the 10th century Um, who wrote The Tale of Genji and her amazing, beautiful um, diaries, which you can read in a Penguin, um, a very short Penguin uh, uh, volume, paperback, which is brilliant. And along with that, I'd have to have some of those novel novelists and poets. You can only have one more. Rabelais. (laughs) Rabelais, the French poet Rabelais. He's not a novelist, but I'd have to throw in Balzac. All right. So, so
2: Balzac's coming in. Rabelais plus one. Yeah. 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 Rabelais, yeah. <laughs> Aladdin plus one. Balzac's
0: coming as his date because he was just so ir- such an irrepressible dynamo. And I would add Alexander Dumas too, but
1: that's
0: <laughs> <clean>. <laughs> <laughs> But I managed to get them in before you stopped me. That's true. That's true. he's a historian, you've got a
1: book that's... Yeah. <laughs> 1,300 <laughs> pages long. We can't limit you just to three people. Uh, and Pushkin. It would be a wild party. It would be a wild party with yeah, that crew. Yeah, yeah. A crazy party uh, indeed. If you want more, The World of Family History, also uh, Jerusalem, the biography uh, from Simon Seabag Montefiore. Thank you so much. Uh, the World is published by Orion. It's out now. Remember, if you want to get in touch at any stage, you can email booksoftheyear at yahoo.com. We'll be back next week with the Books of the Year Roundup. Uh, I hope you can join us then uh, for the moment. Happy holidays.